0: Section thirty two of Obermann. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Obermann by Etienne Piver de Senancourt, translated by Arthur Edward Waite, eighteen fifty seven to nineteen forty two. Sixth Year, Letter forty six lyons august two six when the morning begins i am dejected conscious of sadness and unrest i feel that i can settle to nothing and know not how i shall fill up so many hours when the day is at its noon i am overwhelmed i withdraw into obscurity i try to busy myself and i shut out the light that i may forget there are no clouds but later when the light has mellowed and i am aware of the enchantment of a beautiful evening so foreign to me in these times then am i truly afflicted and give way amidst the comforts of my existence i am more exhausted with bitterness than a man who is crushed by misfortune yet they have said to me you are at peace now the paralytic is at peace upon his bed of suffering to wear out the day is a full vigour as the aged man passes the days of his repose always to wait and nothing to hope for disquiet always unaccompanied by desire and excitement which has never any object hours that are invariably nugatory conversations which multiply words and do not deal with things meals eaten through excess of weariness frigid rural gatherings where nothing is desired but their end friendship without familiarity pleasures for the sake of appearance mirth for the sake of those who are yawning like ourselves and not one sentiment of joy in two whole years a body which is habitually inactive ahead excited a soul wretched and in sleep itself only an imperfect escape from that consciousness of bitterness of constraint of weariness which finds no rest such is the long-drawn agony of the heart not thus should be the life of man august three but if this be his life you will tell me it is such as it ought to be whatsoever exists is in accordance with the prescribed condition of things where would the causes be if they were not in nature I must needs grant it yet this condition of things is transient only it is not in harmony with the essential order unless indeed everything is predetermined of necessity but if all be inevitable then it is equally unavoidable if i go to work as though necessity was non-existent all that we adduce is vain no sentiment is preferable to its opposite no error no advantage but if it be otherwise let us confess our mistakes let us survey our position let us inquire how so many losses may be repaired resignation is often excellent for individuals it can only be fatal to the species that this is the way of the world is the axiom of the common people when it is uttered about public misfortunes it is that of the wise only in particular cases shall it be affirmed that we must aim not at imagined beauty at absolute felicity but rather at the details of a direct utility in the actual order and that perfection being inaccessible by man and still more so by men it is at once useless and romantic to attempt to nourish them thereon but nature invariably provides the more to obtain the less of a thousand grains one alone will germinate we should seek to distinguish that which would be the best possible not only in the hope of obtaining it but in order to approach it more nearly than if we regarded solely as the term of our efforts that which they can in effect produce i seek data which will indicate to me the requirements of man and these i seek in myself to reduce the chances of deception in my own sensations i meet with a limited but sure example and in the study of the one man whom i can properly scrutinise i endeavour to discover the characteristics of humanity in general simple and just men inspired with confidence and comprehensive affections with sensibility and composure who are conscious with plenitude of your existence who desire to behold the work of your days you alone know how to employ your life you set your joy in order and domestic peace on the stainless brow of a friend on the blessed lips of a wife do not subject yourselves in our cities to miserable mediocrity to disdainful for weariness forget not natural things devote not your hearts to the unprofitable agony of equivocal passions their object always indirect fatigues and suspends life even to the infirm age which all too late deplores that nothingness in which the faculty of doing good has been submerged i am similar to those unfortunates for whom the excessive violence of some impulse has permanently irritated certain fibres and to whom a return of their mania is inevitable whensoever the imagination impressed by a similar object renews that first emotion within them the sentiment of correspondences exhibits to me for ever the harmonic accordances as the order and end of nature this necessity of seeking results as soon as i perceive data this instinct to which it is so repugnant that we should exist in vain does it seem to you that i can overcome it do you not perceive that it is ingrained that it is stronger than my will that it is my necessity that it must either enlighten or misguide me that while it makes me wretched i must needs obey it do you not see that i am out of place isolated finding nothing i regret all that passes away i drive and hurry out of sheer disgust i would escape the present but do not desire the future i waste i devour my days i rush towards the term of my weariness without anticipating anything thereafter it is said that time only flies quickly for the happy but it is a false statement i see it pass at this moment with such rapidity that i cannot follow it i would not wish that the vilest of men should be happy after this fashion i do not disguise it i had counted for a moment upon some inward consolation now i am terribly disabused what as a fact did i expect that mankind should learn how to arrange the details which are left at their disposition by circumstances should make use of the advantages which may be offered by their interior faculties or by some conformity of character for the establishment and regulation of those nothings of which men do not weary which can embellish or distract their hours that they should learn not to lose the most endurable among all their years and not be more unfortunate through their unskilfulness than they are by destiny itself that in a word they should learn how to live ought i to conceal that it is by no means so do i not know full well that this apathy and above all this species of mutual fear and distrust this incertitude this absurd reserve which because it is an instinct with some is constituted the duty of others condemns all men to behold one another with weariness to love wearily to agree uselessly and to yawn all their days together for want of saying once and for all let us yawn no longer in all things and everywhere men dissipate their existence finally they grow angry with themselves believing it to be their own fault allowances having been made for the indulgence of our individual weaknesses we are still perhaps too severe in this matter too disposed to attribute to ourselves things which it was impossible to avoid when the time has gone by we forget the details of that fatality so impenetrable in its causes so barely sensible in its results all that one hoped falls unawares into ruins all flowers fade all seeds miscarry everything withers like those fruits new-born which the frost smites with death which will never ripen which will wholly perish though they go on vegetating for a longer or shorter period suspended from dry branches as if the cause of their ruin strove to remain unknown health and familiar intercourse are both ours we hold within our hands all that is requisite for a life at least moderately pleasant the means are in each case simple and in each natural we grasp them and yet they escape us why is this the reply would be long and difficult i should prefer it to many treatises of philosophy but it is not to be met with even among the three thousand laws of pythagoras there is perhaps a disposition to neglect overmuch things that are indifferent in themselves but are notwithstanding to be desired or at least accepted so that the hours may be occupied without weariness there is a kind of disdain which is altogether a hollow pretence but into which we are drawn without knowing it many men are to be met with each of whom devoted to other tastes is or assumes to be insensible towards many things about which we do not therefore care to seem more affected than they are a certain habit of indifference and renunciation forms within us it costs us no real sacrifices but it increases weariness those trifles which if taken apart would be all useless become good collectively they nourish that activity of the affections which comprises life they are not adequate causes of sensations but they enable us to escape the misfortune of having no longer any such benefits weak as they are are more suited to our nature than the puerile grandeur which rejects them and offers nothing in their place the void becomes tiresome in the end it degenerates into a dull habit and utterly deceived in our superb indolence we permit the light of life to be quenched in a mournful mist for want of the breath to animate it i repeat to you that time flies with increasing swiftness in the measure that age changes my lost days congregate behind me they fill the vague space with their hueless shadows they heap up their attenuated skeletons it is the darksome semblance of a funereal pile and if my restless glance turns seeking some repose upon the chain more fortunate once days that prepare the future their full forms and their brilliant images have well nigh lost their beauty the high colourings have paled that veiled space which embellished them with heavenly grace and the magic of insertitude discovers now their naked phantoms all barren and sorrowful by the austere gleam which reveals them amidst the eternal night i can see even now the last of all advancing alone over the abyss and there is nothing in front of it do you remember our vain desires our boyish schemes the joy under a brilliant sky the forgetfulness of the world the freedom of the deserts youthful transport of a heart which believes in happiness is bent on attaining its desires and as yet knows nothing of life simplicity of hope what has now become of you silence of the forests limpid clearness of the waters natural fruits loving familiarity such things then sufficed us there is nothing in the actual world which can replace these cravings of an unsophisticated heart of a roving mind all this pristine dream of our early spring tides if some hour more auspicious than usual impresses on our countenances the seal of an unexpected serenity some fleeting hue of peace and satisfaction the next does not fail to substitute a morose and jaded expression those wrinkles suffused with bitterness which efface for ever our early mien of frankness since that age which is now already so remote from me the scattered moments which have suggested the idea of happiness would not make up one day in my life that i should willingly consent to repeat this is one characteristic of my wearisome destiny others are far more wretched but i have yet to hear of the man who has known less of happiness i persuade myself that we are prone to repine that our own miseries are realised in all their details whilst those outside ourselves are either minimised or ignored and yet i feel myself justified in believing that no one could less enjoy live less or more constantly fall short of what he wishes i am not so much in pain out of patience or irritated as tired and unmanned in a word i am in utter dejection sometimes it is true by a sudden emotion i rise above the narrow sphere where i have been conscious of being confined this emotion is so rapid that i am not able to anticipate it the sensation fills and transports me before the emptiness of its impulse occurs to me i lose thus that reasoned repose which perpetuates our evils by measuring them with its frigid rules with its wise but mortal formulae at such times i forget those accidental considerations the links of that miserable chain which has been forged by my weakness on the one side i see only my soul with its energies and desires like a restricted yet independent motor which must expend itself inevitably at its term, and as inevitably acts only in accordance with its nature on the other i behold all earthly things as its necessary domain the means of its operation the materials of its life i despise that cowardly and slow-paced prudence which ignores the force of genius lets the fire of the heart die out and parts for ever with that which comprises life for toys which it fashions and to devise its childish shows i ask myself what i am doing why i do not set myself to live what is the force which holds me down when i am conscious of an energy which consumes me by its repressed effort what i am expecting when i hope for nothing what i am seeking when i care for nothing and desire nothing what fatality compels me to act in opposition to my wishes though how it can compel me i do not know it is easy to escape therefrom it is high time it must be done but the word is no sooner uttered than the impulse is checked the energy quenched and again i am plunged in the torpor which consumes my life time rolls steadily on i rise reluctantly i retire exhausted i awake again desiring nothing i shut myself indoors and grow weary i go out and sigh if the weather is gloomy it saddens me if bright i have no use for it i find the town insipid and the country hateful the sight of the unfortunate distresses me but i am not deceived by the faces of the happy i laugh bitterly when i observe men who are a prey to anxiety and if some are more calm i smile to think of their fancied contentment i appreciate to its full extent the unreason of the part which i fill now i fall into discouragement and again i laugh at my impatience i seek in each thing notwithstanding for that twofold fantastic character which renders it an instrument not only of our wretchedness but also of that comedy of cross-purposes which makes the habitable earth a scene of contradiction where all things are important in the midst of the vanity of all things hence i go in haste knowing not where to direct my steps i am in agitation because i find no focus for my activity i talk to drown thinking i am vivacious through actual stupor i can even believe that i jest i laugh through suffering and it is thought that i am in high spirits he is all right they exclaim he plays his part i play it of necessity i shall not always be able to do it august five over all this i believe and feel that a change is coming the more i reflect on my experiences the more i incline to the conviction that the events of life are foreshown prepared and matured in a progressive course directed by an unknown power no sooner does a succession of occurrences set towards a certain course than the result indicated thereby becomes forthwith a common centre for a host of other occurrences characterised by a defined tendency this tendency which unites them to the centre by universal bonds presents that centre to our minds as an end which has been prepared according to some design of nature as a link which she has forged purposely in accordance with her general laws and in which we endeavour to ascertain to forecast by means of particular analogies the course order and harmonies of the scheme of the world if we are deceived therein it is perhaps solely through our eagerness our desires seek always to anticipate the march of events and to wait on that tardy maturity is insupportable to our impatience one would say also that some unknown will some intelligence of an indefinable nature carries us away by appearances by the progression of numbers by dreams which exceed altogether the probabilities of chance in their correspondence with facts one would say that it has recourse to all means for our deception that the secret sciences the astonishing results of divination and the vast effects due to imperceptible causes are the work of this withdrawn activity that in this manner it precipitates matters which we think that we are directing ourselves and beguiles us to diversify the world if you wish to realize some notion of this invisible power and of the impotence of order itself as regards the attainment of perfection compute all the well-known forces and you will see that they do not contain the direct result do more than this imagine some state of things in which all the particular conformities would be observed and all the individual destinations accomplished you will find i think that the order of each thing would not produce the true order of the whole of things that each separately would be too good and that such neither is nor could be the way of the world the grand law of the universality of things seeming to be a perpetual deviation in contrary details here are certain facts in a case where the probabilities can be exactly calculated i refer to some dreams relative to the paris lottery I have known of twelve or fifteen prior to the drawings taking place the old woman who experienced them had assuredly neither the demon of socrates nor any cabalistic secret at the same time she had more ground for believing her dreams than i could have mustered to disabuse her they were most of them verified by the event and the chances against this were at least twenty thousand to one in the end she was persuaded herself to tempt fortune her dreams continued she put in the lottery but the event no longer justified her gift it must not be denied that men are deceived by false calculations and by passion but as regards that which can be computed mathematically, is it possible that all the ages have combined to believe in things which have nothing but the accidents of chance to warrant them? For myself, who have assuredly paid very little heed to experiences of this sort, I have notwithstanding on three occasions dreamed that I was present at the drawing of the numbers. In one instance there was no connection with the event of the next day, in another the connection was as striking as if i had guessed a number when the chances were eighty thousand to one against it as to the third it was even more remarkable i saw the following numbers in the order in which i give them seventy thirty-nine seventy-two eighty-one the fifth number i did not see and the third was by no means clear i was in doubt whether it was seventy-two or seventy i noted both but had a fancy for the former wishing to stake at least on the quaternary i chose therefore seven thirty nine seventy two eighty one had i selected the seventy i should have drawn the quaternary which is already remarkable but what is much more singular is that my note made exactly in correspondence with the order in which i had seen the four numbers bore a determinate ternary and that it would have been a determinate quaternary had i chosen the seventy is there an intention in nature to decoy men or at least a considerable proportion of them is one of its methods a necessary law by which they are as they are or have all the nations become demented through finding that the things realized evidently surpassed natural possibility modern philosophy denies it as it denies all that it cannot explain it has replaced that which explained things that did not exist i am far from affirming or really believing that there is a force in nature which misleads men independently of the jugglery of their passions that there is a secret chain of relations be it in numbers or inclinations by which it is possible to judge or to be cognisant in advance of things to come which we regard as accidental i do not say that there is but might there not be a certain temerity in declaring that there is not is it even impossible that presentiments are peculiar to a certain mode of organization and that other persons are debarred from them we find for example that the majority are incapable of perceiving a relation between the scent of a plant and the means of the happiness of the world is the sentiment of such relations to be regarded for that reason as an error of the imagination remote as these two perceptions confessedly are from one another for the minds of most are they also remote for those who discern the bond which unites them he who bruised the splendid heads of the poppies knew well that he would be heard he knew also that his slaves would by no means comprehend for they by no means possessed his secret you will not take all this more seriously than i say it but i am weary of things that are certain and seek everywhere for the paths of hope i may gain a little heart if you come soon the courage of waiting always for the morrow is something at least for him who can boast no other End of section thirty-two.